Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. But it's only called a costume drama because that's a sort of misogynistic way of viewing things that women like because they're wearing big dresses. It's not actually a costume drama. It's a, peri- it's a drama am, set in... You're going to get me on the... favorite? What about the favorite? You're going to get me on the witness stand and I'm going to fall apart. I, no, 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 question. sorry. No, and no, also, no, no. like, I don't know why I'm coming at you. <laughs> no, no, I love it. Hey, it's Ben Mankiewicz, and that's me on the cusp of falling apart as I mount an argument against, of all things, costume dramas. The woman calling me on my nonsense, writer-director Emerald Fennell. In case you don't know who Emerald Fennell is, let's start with her acting. She played King Charles's love interest, Camilla Parker Bowles, in two seasons of The Crown. She's the princess of Wales. It's a future queen, the mother to a future king. And I'm just... My one true love. A mistress. Emerald was also in 2023's highest-grossing film of the year, Greta Gerwig's Barbie. She had almost no lines, but she did wave memorably as Midge, the pregnant Barbie. Ah! Oh, Midge. Gosh, I thought we discontinued her. Ah. Emerald Fennell's main focus, what's become her day job, is writing and directing films. And she's made two of the most provocative movies of the last five years. On this week's show, actor, television showrunner, writer, director, Emerald Fennell. I'm your host, Ben Mankiewicz. This is Talking Pictures, a podcast about movies, about memories, and about all the stuff that happens in between. Turner Classic Movies makes this podcast with the streaming service Max where you can see some of the movies mentioned in this episode. Three years ago, just 35 years old, Emerald Fennell wrote and directed her first feature film, Promising Young Woman. It stars Carrie Mulligan as a young woman seeking revenge for the rape of her best friend. It won Emerald the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. Her latest is one of the most talked-about movies of 2023, Saltburn. Barry Keoghan plays Oliver, a university student in England who becomes infatuated with an exceptionally wealthy and handsome classmate named Felix, played by Jacob Elordi. In this scene, Felix's bike has a flat tire. He doesn't know Oliver, who comes along to save the day. You all right? Um, yeah, I've got a flat tire. Take my bike. Fuck, that's kind. Are you serious? Thank you. I'm sorry I don't know your name. I'm, uh, I'm Felix. Oliver. 
Oliver. Yeah. Oliver. <laughs> Oliver, I love you. I love yeah. I love you. All right, cheers, Ollie. What follows is an often funny, sometimes uncomfortable, often stylish, sometimes erotic movie about class, power, and sex. It's both a dark comedy and a psychological thriller. And it's not for the faint of heart. There are fluids in this film. I saw an early screening of Saltburn in November of last year. I spoke to Emerald the next morning, right before the movie opened to wide release. I loved your film. I did not see it at Telluride. I saw it last night. Oh, yes. You saw it in, uh, at, at that, in that cathedral of a movie theater. Century City? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, I, uh, I don't know. Oh, that I, yes. <laughs> Century City, where the streets are paved with gold. One of the um, great movie palaces. <laughs> yeah. Cinema uh, Three at the Century City Mall. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, we had the premiere last night and they did it. They just, they screened it at the Ace Hotel and it was 2,000 people and it was just crazy. So, yeah, I, I'd hoped you'd been there. But how was it at Century City? How did it play there? <laughs> uh, it played extremely well there. Good. I'm very and, glad to hear it. Uh, you know, so much, and we're going to talk a lot about, we'll talk a lot about your movies, your career. We'll talk about movies in general also, but so much of movies, so much of it, and you know this, of course, is expectation, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the things, because I tell you right, I, to me, your, your movie was pretty much the most discussed movie at Telluride. There was a lot of buzz. It was, as you know, it was mostly good, but some people objected in some strong ways to it. and. Sure. One of the things that I was told was, oh, it's going to gross you out, right? There's all these bodily. And so I don't know. I was, I don't know. And I was like, what's wrong with you people? I know. <laughs> I not, know. It was not grossed out. I know. And the audience wasn't either. They, they laughed when you want them to laugh. Sometimes it was the awkward laugh, right? Sure. But that's, I think, what you were going for. Crucial, some, yeah. Some crucial. Squirm. Laugh. Oh, my God. There was some squirming. I just love a squirm. <laughs> oh I mean, God. it's all about squirming, isn't it? No, it's interesting. It's, it is so interesting. I think that's the thing that you find, you know, whenever, and it was, you know, it was, it was similar with the last film. For some people, it's too much. For some people, it's too little. For some people, it's gross. For some people, it's erotic, you know, and there's no right answer. The thing is, is that like, you, you know, you make a movie to like, get under, get into something interesting to find, uh, yeah, you want to poke, you want to poke at that place. So, yeah. In this movie, almost from the start, like the in Saltburn, you're constantly shifting allegiances and shifting might be the wrong word. You're constantly wondering where your allegiance is supposed to lie. Yeah. Wait, am I supposed to like this person? Yeah. I don't know. What is their... Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, and almost the person you in the film, don't worry, I won't betray anything. Um, almost the person you hate most turns out to be the person who read the situation most correctly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Totally. And I think that's the, the kind of interesting thing for me, like as the person who made it, I guess, one of the people that made it. You're mainly the person who made it. Well, I, I understand this know. is a collaborative art form, but. But. People expect me to have the answer to that, but I can't answer that. It's all that for me. That's like asking somebody if they're relatable, <laughs> right. if they're a sympathetic person. Like you know, I, I, I kind of, 
the most interesting characters for me, the most desirable characters often, are the ones who are pathetic or depraved or boring. You know, there's no... There is no such... I don't know, there's... We don't have to be told. We don't have to be told when we go to a film who our protagonist is necessarily. I mean, obviously, we have a very clear one. Rather, we don't need to be told what moral judgment to make. And I think we're very used to that. We're very used to say, like, what was I supposed to feel? And the answer is, there's no supposed to. You can feel what you feel, and that's the thrill. But even some of the movies that you love most, that you grow up loving, that you came or came to discover when you were older, you know, don't do that. They they do sort of tell you, sometimes very effectively. I mean, you know, there's no better to me a studio film than Casablanca, but they they tell you who to root for and when to root for them, and you know. So I think that your decision in both of these movies to uh, complicate that matter is incredibly interesting. It's pretty bold. Uh, it makes you it makes you stand apart, right? This willingness to be like, ah, I don't know, and this eight minutes of the movie, I guess this guy's a hero, but it it's, could be very different in the next moment or even inside that eight minutes. Well, and also, but it's a power struggle, isn't it? So even in the moment, even if it's, you know, even if we take it outside of the world of film and just take it into the world of like two people having a discussion, every conversation to some extent is a power struggle. Who's winning ours right now? <laughs> I don't know. Well, you are always, inevitably, because you're the person who has a you have a um notebook in front of you with with questions so you know up to a point where this conversation is going you can edit it for example no i'm just saying that yeah. this is but this is an unusual conversation but i would say in any conversation it is a question of even if it's completely transactional even if you're just asking for a coffee you know there are so many ways you can do that which this sounds like i'm being kind of philosophical and a bit of a wanker but 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 it is but the thing is is about the shifting of allegiances the shifting of sympathies it's often actually just the simple transference of power and how we relate to power as an audience so the person who is the has the least power in the scene suddenly is the person we feel most sorry for right but it doesn't change them inherently as a person that's right that's right no so that's so let me tell you about our dynamic now from a different perspective yeah so one i don't know why of course it's my own self protection and and being defensive, the notebook was really just for me to write. For me to write it out. When I write it, I learn it. Right. That's a big part of it. Like I haven't even looked at it yet, but I know that I can. Right. If I get lost, or if I forget a name or a person in a movie that you care about, or that you made. Um, to me, when I have these conversations, and what you say makes total sense. Right. I I I mostly know where it's going. I we will edit it, although not much. Um, but to me. You're the, just forgive me on this, you're the star. You're the shining light in the room. And that's when I do these interviews, of course, that's often the case. So I feel like it's always like, it's really up to you how it goes. Like I cannot make them, all I can do when I'm at my best is that you, the subject, the person who I talk to and I instantly like, which has already happened here, I have to say, <laughs> you know, that you'll relax into yourself. Because when you relax into yourself, you're going to say interesting things and people are going to hear it and they're going to think, oh, I, I think, forget whether they like you, they will, but they'll <laughs> think, oh, I, I know a little something about Emerald Fennell now. Right? But isn't that just like, but isn't that the thing that is, that's kind of what I mean. This is so fascinating already. 
because what we're talking about is everything that film and drama is based on, which is like what's happening, what's really happening. Because we are having a conversation about movies and we will have a conversation about movies. And, but there is a like, to acknowledge that there is a sort of unusual power dynamic in the room is important. And it's a kind of exactly what I always want to look at, which is like, we all go about our days, we do our jobs, we put on makeup, we, you know, we do all of the stuff that we do. And then we collide with each other in a way, in ways that can be kind of completely surprising, complicated. You know, I love, I love going outside. <laughs> there's that Kurt Vonnegut, you know, there's that thing that kind of went, did the rounds on the internet recently that was like, um, you know, Kurt Vonnegut going out to buy stamps. Did you read this? No, but I already like it. So I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase it really badly because he's so brilliant but it was like he's going out to buy stamps and his wife said says to him like but hey you're rich you know you can just go on the internet you can buy like 20 stamps and at one time and then you don't have to go out every time I buy stamps and he's like yeah but if I go outside to buy a stamp I'm gonna go outside I'm gonna maybe see a baby I might like pet a dog I might like meet someone we might have a like quick conversation it's just like why would I deny myself that process and I guess in a roundabout way that's the stuff that I like too you answered a question on another podcast that I loved very much because there's a moment in your, in your first film in Promising Young Woman really pretty close to the beginning where where uh, um I'm Carrie Mulligan. <laughs> We're Carrie Mulligan. Yeah, as a notebook. I love notebooks. So I, like, I, li- I liked your notebook. I've many. Sponsored by Moleskin. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's too many notebooks. I got three right in my off bag. The bat, right. That's too many. Um, one of them's a calendar. Um, the uh, and I um, and she opens it up and she's got you know the uh, the little hash marks you know one two three yeah. four and then five many times and you she's clearly it's a list right she's marking off some list and there's some men's names on another page and the interviewer asked you what that what that meant and you were like i don't really want, i don't i'm paraphrasing i don't really want to say you said because i don't know it could be many things she, you you're like i know what i was thinking at the moment but it could be many different things and it doesn't really matter and i was like oh that's such a good answer <laughs> i love that answer um that you were just you're it, it is a it was a it's emblematic of your willingness to not hold people's hands through the movie and tell them what to think. It's a small little thing, but it, but I thought it was revealing. Yeah. No, I think, I just don't think like holding hands is much too nice. Like I love movies that hold my hand, but I would much rather a movie that like, I don't know kicks me in the stomach not kicks me in the stomach it's nothing it's just a little scratch sure just a tiny scratch paper cut you know some movies can kick you in the stomach it's they a, can yeah, but right. i don't know that those are even the movies that i necessarily make but but I, and i love those movies too but i definitely want to feel something that is there that's kind of indelible i think you're i think there's a moment in promising young woman that kicks you in the stomach yeah no question yes no yes, question yes, that's yes, a, yes. that was a that was, was a wait, what just horrific, happened? Yeah. Stomach kicking moment. Um, but it was good. Yeah. Right? This is more of a kind of crotch based experience, <laughs> I would say, Saltburn. This is definitely more of a crotch based experience. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah Martin Scorsese said the same thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Indeed. <laughs> uh, so 
Would you, I, I, in another interview, you, you talked about how you think cinematically, and which I think is pretty clear from, from the first two pictures you made. Um, would that cause you to be hesitant to go back and, and do more television? Or, or if the story was right, would you jump back into TV? I think it's just about, it's the same thing as when you're talking about like aspect ratio. It's just what is the story, right. what's the best thing? I, because I like things that are maybe a little bit more heightened, you know, I like the containment of a film. I like that what it can do and I like the, I also really like the intimate relationship that a film has with an audience. I really like that and I hope so much that people go back to the movies because that, you know, it's difficult now making movies because what you're doing is you're making something for people in the dark, strangers in the dark, or you're just watching or making something for somebody to watch on their phone on their own. And they're two completely different experiences. And so I suppose, you know, I, I like to make the, I'm, I like a roller coaster and it's harder to do for in your own home, I think. You mean to take the, the to, to have that emotional experience. Well, you're, you're safe at home. at home. You're definitely safe. At home. And you can That's look right. away. You stop, right? You can take but a... the thing is, is you're not, you don't know who's with you in the cinema. I'm not saying that they're a threat. It's just that they're strangers. And you can't look away and you can't look at your phone. You leave. But even leaving is a very active choice. Oh, People yeah. rarely do. So you're there. You know, you are, you know, not a hostage. <laughs> Maybe a hostage with Stockholm Syndrome, hopefully. But that's powerful. That is a powerful thing. That's why I love it. It's why people go to the movies to like, make out because the vibe there is kind of different we're going to take a quick break but stick around when we come back emerald and i go toe-to-toe over costume drums Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Emerald Fennell's most famous acting role, at least in the U.S., is in the Netflix drama The Crown, which is inspired by the life of Queen Elizabeth and her family. In two seasons of The Crown, Emerald plays Camilla Parker Bowles, Prince Charles' love interest before and during his marriage to Princess Diana, who's played by Emma Corrin. Of course, today, Camilla Parker Bowles is the Queen of England and the wife to King Charles. So I hadn't watched The Crown. It's one of those shows that my wife watches, and then I, because I don't like costume dramas. Why? I don't know. It, it Why? Has, it has cost me. Why? Because I don't care about costumes. I don't care about what yeah. people wear. It's like me and the mafia. I don't care about the mafia. Oh, so yeah, right. But, Hang on. You yeah. don't care about what people wear, but it tells you everything about character. If you care about character, you have to care about clothes. I don't care about what people wear if that's the main thing we start talking about. And it's literally called a costume drama. 
But it's only called a costume drama because that's a sort of misogynistic way of viewing things that women like because they're wearing big dresses. It's not actually a costume drama. It's a period. It's a I drama am, set in. You're going to get me on the favorite. You're going to get. You're going to get me on the witness stand, and I'm going to fall apart. I, no, there's no, no, no question. Sorry. And no, also, no, no. like, I don't know why I'm coming at you. <laughs> no, no, I love it. I don't know why I'm coming. And, at you, I'm but, just and I you... wasn't calling you. I wasn't saying that to you. I was saying that the people yeah. who called it that thing. Yes, I understand. No, I'm but just... hang on. But hang on. But hang on. But hang on. Which ones do you like? So it's. I mean, it's also, by the way, why I don't love, I don't like costume dramas and I don't like movies that use fake lands or fake names, right? So it's what, it's what, what it's, do you mean? it's why I'm 10 years old in 1977. I like Smokey and the Bandit better than Star Wars because I got Tatooine. I don't like you making up worlds. Oh, right? interesting. And those count as costume dramas to me. They're all like wearing capes. But that's capes fascinating. And, so actually what you're sort of looking for is, is as close to an emulation of like real life. 100%. That's right. Fascinating. But, totally. then, but that's just, that takes just as much time as all the other stuff, right? Of course. Yeah, definitely. So in a way it doesn't matter. It's just what, as fake. It's, oh, it's <laughs> as fake, right, if not right. more, because it's really trying to sort of give the impression that it's not entirely fake. Yeah, it's a it's a weakness. Oh, There's no, 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 no. It's not a weakness. It's just fact. I have so many. I have so many things. No, I'm exactly the same with... Exactly. But the, but yeah. the favorite's a perfect example. Like, and then I was like, oh, I've, I messed up. I, I didn't... I was... But also when I then end mm. up seeing it, I'm like, oh, well, this was actually quite... This was really yeah. good, right? And funny. Death of Stalin? Yeah. Well, Death of Stalin, I wouldn't count that as costume drama. Why? Because they're wearing military uniforms. Because they're men. Yeah, and, and I'm not, and I'm not being, I'm not being like totally, captain. but I mean like, but I do think there is a like in dangerous liaisons. I'm as I'm as not into John Malkovich's outfit as I'm not into uh, 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 Michelle Pfeiffer. How would you feel about Napoleon though? Again, it's uh, it, th that is a period piece that doesn't call itself a cut. But I would not. I'm sure there's scenes at court where I'd be like, ugh, I, instinctively. And by then, I'm probably into the movie. I wouldn't feel it if I'm into the movie already. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it yeah. is, uh, anyway, it puts me, so anyway, I'm just giving you why I, and <laughs> so I didn't, and part of that is the crown and the pomp and circumstances. Yeah, 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 yeah. But every time I'd come in and she'd be watched, I'd sit down, I'd watch, and I'd watch the next episode with her, and she'd have to explain who everybody was, if I didn't know who they were. <laughs> and, uh, and so I went, knowing I was going to talk to you, and to find you playing yes. Camilla. Yes, And man, that scene with Emma Corrin, mm. is her name, right? Mm. In the restaurant. I mean, that's so good. The concept here is no main courses, just starters and desserts. So no need to feel guilty about ordering put, because it's pretty much all you're getting. I'll have that delicious duck and truffle ravioli thing I had last time, and then the orange and chocolate creamy creation that's stalked my dreams ever since. One of the same. You sure? Very happy to go with the flow. Well, he'll love that. He's so fussy and set in his ways. He'll love it if you adapt to him. Like you're a really good actor. Are you done acting or no? Yeah, I think so. Oh, really? I think so. Because I, look, I love it. And if somebody I really admire asked, you know, like Greta Gerwig asked for me to play Midge in Barbie, which was just, the most blissful thing in the world because I just got to put on, having just been pregnant, put on a preg fake pregnancy belly and then just wave in the background for five seconds, like bliss, total bliss. When it's things like that, you know, of course, but my, I've, I've never been happier in my life than I am making things as a director. Like being on set directing is the happiest I will ever be in my life. No matter how grueling and nightmarish it is, 
it is the purest form of joy. Normally, this is where we would take a break and come back to the last part of our interview, the Super 8. It's where I ask our guests eight questions about the movies that have been important to them throughout their life. But Emerald and I spent so much time talking about the movies that formed her. We're just going to jump into the Super 8 right now. So uh, in addition to talking about uh, your films and other films, we're going to uh, get these eight questions. Okay. Um, uh, you've loved movies for a long time. No, never seen a movie. Oh, sir, you should you should you should check them out. There, thank you. Some of them are quite good. Others. Um, so, do you remember a particularly memorable movie watching experience? Let me set up what that came from. So, at our film festival this year, Paul Thomas Anderson he he said that we're not just talking about for the job at TCM isn't just to preserve movies; is to preserve memories, right? And mm. so many of our most important memories are linked to movies the people who care about movies. And he's like, the theater, the smell, the popcorn, the whatever you ate, right? What was the, what, what is the thing that you remember most about? Like when a movie was, it just hit and that day was perfect and who you saw it with was there, everything. Uh, so do you have a, a particular movie experience, movie watching experience that, that resonates with you still? Well, honestly, the thing that, that changed my life forever was Jurassic Park. Because I was seven, I was on holiday in America and it was still at a time when things came out in America years before. And obviously I sort of knew about it. I must have known about it. I read lots of sort of magazines about, you know, poltergeists and sort of terrible kind of spontaneous combustion. You know, I, my parents didn't really keep tabs on what I was looking at. And then, and they, I think they had, must have been talking about, because I knew about Jurassic Park and I begged them, begged them, begged them to let me go and see it. And they said, yeah, sure, fine. Dinosaurs, fine. Um, and I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And I was so excited that I, that the moment that the velociraptors came into the kitchen, I threw up in with the excitement. Yeah, on myself in the theatre. But nice. crucially, I didn't go. I didn't leave. Yeah. So my mum was like, we need to go and clear you up. And I was like, I'm staying. <laughs> This is the best thing I've ever seen. I'm not going to miss a second of what happens here just to like clean up this just I, popcorn. Just because I smell bad, right? Just now. because I'm right. covered in vomit. Like, come on. Like, what kind of a pussy am I? <laughs> That's not, a, I'm not cineast if I don't, if I clean myself up. But it, it had everything that then for the rest of my life I've been preoccupied with, which is a visceral reaction, which is a complete, just being allowed to be taken away. Just the grip of somebody, just, just, just something unfathomably brilliant. And also it had all the things that I love too, which is like technical and craft stuff that even before I was able to, to, to know really what that even was, like knowing that the dinosaurs were real, feeling that, knowing like everything about the way that it was built, everything about the just the detail and even the like animation in the middle, the kind of DNA animation that they watch, that's, that, that's that world within a world. It's a theme park, but it's not about theme, like all of it. I just, and I, and the thing that I loved was I was like, oh, so there are people who made those eggs. There will be people who made those eggs, who made that, that wobbly pudding 
you know, they're every single thing there, somebody has made, so it's possible to do it. So it could be that I could do that. I could do one of those things. I could make that jelly or something. So I have three great movie watching experiences I don't want to talk about myself. I think you should. They are Midnight Run in college. Yeah. Um, out of Sight in 1990, oh, yeah. which was to me like I the mean, greatest. I just felt like if I felt this way after every movie, I'd go to three movies a day, right? I just yeah. felt alive. Alive. That, right? Hot. And opening weekend in, I guess, 1993, either Friday or Saturday night at the Uptown Theater in Washington, D.C. of Jurassic Park. I mean. And the thrill of a packed house and the screams and my, at a, I'm older than you, and so I, you know, I'm not a filmmaker, but I, I, I did know then that this is, I, I was the process, but even knowing it, you couldn't believe what you were seeing. No. How, I go, those are, said to my girlfriend, those are dinosaurs. They're real. This is unbelievable. Dinosaurs. It's, and, and then both of my kid and one of my dogs, I did dinosaur eyes when the dinosaur looks in the little VW bug or whatever, the Jeep, whatever car they're driving is mm-hmm. Jeep, right? Mm-hmm. And so I just stick my eye right up to, I'm holding my eye up to the microphone now where I'd stick it next to her and it always, that's just dinosaur eyes. And it's just from Jurassic Park. I still do it today. <laughs> dinosaur yeah. eyes, yeah. Dinosaur eyes, yeah. Disapproving dinosaur eyes. Disapproving dinosaur eyes, right? And you just stick your, go right up to your kid's eye, put but your eye next to it. things that make it real and the things that he is so incredible at you know, it's just the condensation from the dinosaur's breath on the right. window. On the window. Yeah. You know? That stuff makes it real, makes it visceral. It's he's just I mean, obviously like the first person who's ever noticed that Steven Spielberg <laughs> is a fantastic filmmaker, but it's but the detail and the world building and the dedication to pleasure actually is uh, something that I respect dedi- so much. Dedication to pleasure. I've not heard that turn of phrase. But that's what he does, right? Everything that he makes is about what will give, yes, it's thought-provoking, yes, it's beautiful, yes, it's emotional, yes, the characters are relatable, all of those things. But it's also, you are locked onto his roller coaster and he's going to take you where he's going to take you and he cares if you have a great time. And that is still something, it's so difficult to do. We were just on the TCM cruise, and uh, yeah, I worked very hard on the cruise. And I'd come back to stateroom at night, and I couldn't sleep. They got a bunch of movies there, a bunch of Disney movies, Disney cruise. We also have some TCM classics on there. And listed among the Disney movies was Bridge of Spies. Oh. And so I started it, and over three nights, because I eventually fell asleep. Sure. I've seen it, of course, a couple of times. I, I just mean, like, there's a Spielberg movie that, that you know, doesn't leap to mind when people think yeah. about Spielberg, and it is yeah. perfect. Every detail, every like little push of the camera, every tiny slant, it tells us everything that we need to know. And it and and yet he himself is not his presence is only in the kind of kind of unbelievably steady hat. Like you're not admiring the captain, you're admiring the ship always. And I think that's also difficult when you're that good to not make yourself known as a filmmaker, because that's that's something I'm also kind of slightly preoccupied with too, is like, because I love things that are artful, I love things that are Baroque, that are somewhat heightened. But actually I do as, as little as I can kind of tricksy camera work or I, I try to m- make the art, I try to make myself and the crew as much as we can be invisible because 
you have to, you know, the, the suspension of disbelief is a constant, you know, you're constantly kind of tacitly acknowledging it, I think. And we do acknowledge it in the film, but I think there's, there comes a point where it just becomes alienating. But I think having seen now two films, I think there's a, as a sense of what an Emerald Fennell movie is, right? And it doesn't mean it's, oh, here's the thing that, you know, it's got a stamp. You, I mean, every, and, and from the music to the look and the atmosphere and the, the kinds of characters, at least two, you don't even have, a, you know, you're going to make a lot. But there's something about your stamp on it. And I think that's good, right? I mean, Steven Spielberg has a stamp on it, gets out of the way, but you can still leave a stamp. Talking oh, a lot about, we're talking a lot about stamps. Absolutely. I know. So really, it's a stamp-based. <laughs> yeah. It's bring back the postal service. Um, no, no, I think you're right. I think I think having vision and, and clarity and, and specificity and, and that all, you know, you can do that. I think it's more about I never like something that feels too, I don't know, that announces yourself as being behind a camera in a moment there are just some moments sometimes i'm like eh i don't know that's too you think i I think sometimes oh wow this this movie was is directed right is directed exactly and i think and you want it to feel like it's sort of yeah more like a sort of dream that someone's having that you're kind of that you're maneuvering but but no i mean i hope that that's the case it's only interesting if it's personal as well not just just that thing of like starting with the writing, starting there and starting with a kind of like kind of slightly brutal level of self-interrogation or trying at least trying as much as like anyone can be, to be honest, or like to be looking at things that are, you know, that may be a bit shaming or complicated. And, you know, if you start from there, it's so much easier to make something because you're just, you're really just asking the same thing of your actors and your crew and things is just to like, is this the most interesting version of everything we can make is this the most beautiful is this the most complicated is this can we go deeper than this william wyler told charlton heston on ben-hur you know he's like i i i we uh can you we gotta do that again he's like well what are you looking for he's like i'm looking for it to be better yeah (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. but but again that is a perfect example of where trust and honesty is really important and that has to go both ways that charlton heston presumably was able to say fuck you Right, that's right. And that's yeah. why, you know, or, okay, cool. Yeah, got right, it. Right. Because that is the kind of thing you need. And it's that's the thing that is hardest to do, right? Because we're dealing in a world with people who are not just, you know, just cast and crew, all of us, very vulnerable, very um, dedicated, very exposed, um, and, and often people who have been, like, experience things that aren't very nice, have been belittled, have been undermined, have been treated badly. And so, so much of the first work is to be like, we've got each other. I'm going to be honest with you, kind always, but honest. And you can be honest with me. And I'm not going to do that thing of having a whispered conversation with a producer and then slide up to you and be like, hey, so I think what you're doing is beautiful, but like maybe I'm never going to do that. I'm never, ever, ever going to do that because it's not helpful and it makes you feel like a child. So, you know, you've got to just... You, know, you, you learn that from being an actor or you just instinctively know no, it? No, I, le- I, think, I think partly it's sort of both things. I, I cannot bear, whether as an actor or as a person, to feel like I'm being managed yeah. because it's so infantilizing. And it is something, even when you're, for example, having a baby... It's something that you come up against as a woman all the time, you know, every day and do 
since the moment you're born, especially if you're sort of, you know, like I am, kind of you like girlish things or things that are perceived as girlish, you like doing your hair and doing your nails and doing your makeup and stuff. There's this sort of sense of like, yeah, kind of you're being manoeuvred. People don't even know they're doing it. And the and so I am determined always, whoever I speak to, to kind of be like hopefully always respectful, but like, you know, reasonably straightforward. Don't go away. After the break, Emerald tells us about a movie prop she wishes she could get her hands on. We're back with the rest of our Super 8 questions. If you can believe it, we're only on question two. That's the longest we've gone between questions one and two. Yeah, Congratulations yeah, yeah. on oh, setting shit. a new record. How many Ellen. questions are no, there? Eight, but we'll be quick. <laughs> okay. That's just these eight. So, uh, so okay. A <laughs> uh, movie you loved in high school. Movie I loved in high school. Um, I liked anything where um, anyone, usually it, it was the female protagonist slowly dying of some disease while her beautiful <laughs> boyfriend, while her beautiful boyfriend tended to her and then like tenderly took her virginity just before she died. Um, that was my jam very much. So, it, you know. That sounds fun. I watched yeah. A Walk to Remember many, many times. Um, <laughs> um, the thing that I was obsessed with was um, was Cape Fear. Oh, the remake? Yeah. The Well, now, of course, I'm obsessed with the original the robert mitchum original but i was obsessed with the remake because the scene where robert de niro comes to the high school to seduce juliet lewis juliet lewis the daughter it's one of the sexiest things i've ever seen which is very complicated very complicated a very right. complicated feeling to have when you know when you know and i think again that thing for me was it was like i know he's the baddie uh, and in saltburn yeah years a moment where you think Am I allowed to be turned on by this? Yeah. Right. And my answer is always you are allowed to be turned on. Yeah. Like permission is the main thing that I kind of wish I could kind of say before this film is like permission to laugh, permission to be horny, permission to scream, permission to hate it. And so that for me was like, I loved, and talk about Juliette Lewis, I mean, Natural Born Killers, another very troublingly sexy film. And I know you love to die for also. Oh, and uh, you know, and Ileana Douglas so great in the Cape Fear remake, and, She's and yeah, and and to die un- for, and also like the that seduction scene. Yeah, yeah, in the bar, and right. then where it ends is yeah. so. I mean, I think that there is so much there that is you know really kind of in the DNA perhaps of promising a woman that kind of uh, yeah Definitely. to make the seduction the the thing that is so terrifying is you have to make it completely conceivable that you would fall to. It's so brilliant. It is so brilliant, that film. Um, movie that you'd show somebody you're interested in, that you'd show a date or, or a friend going, hey, I got a friend who was into a guy or a, or a girl, and you'd be like, hey, you should check out this movie. Killing of a Sacred Deer. Really? I think it's a really good, uh, I think it's a really good, um, what's the word, shibboleth. It's, I've never used shibboleth in a sentence. I know, nor have I. Yeah. <laughs> so let's see if uh, that will get people writing in. But my use of excuse the shibboleth. Excuse me. Excuse me. 
That is not how you use shibboleth. The only reason there's a guy in my my uh, rotisserie baseball league whose team name was the Shibboleths. Oh, well, yeah. good for him. Yeah, I know. Yeah, um, show, I actually show sort of, off. I'm I'm now kind of slightly regretting it. So I'm not entirely sure that I'm going to use it in the right way. But I think Killing the Sacred Deer for me is that because it's the funniest film I've ever seen. That's the funniest film you've it's ever seen. So dark it got me in its grip it just got me by the neck so hard against a wall with how cold and fucking merciless and brutal and hilarious and sexy it was i just it just did that thing where i was like oh okay okay this is this is it this is like this is the sort of nightmare this is the nightmare I want to be in. I want to live inside. And so for me, it's useful. It would be a useful one because if somebody was just like lukewarm on it or if somebody did the thing that that really makes me go cold immediately, it's like, well, there were aspects of it that I respected. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. I enjoyed what he was trying to do here. Yeah. You know, all of that kind of stuff. It's like, I don't care. How did you feel? How did you feel when he put that bag on his head? You've just crystallized why I hated being a critic. Yeah, because sometimes tough. I would end up talking like that, it's and tough. I'd be like, it's "I didn't." Tough. I'm I, was sorry. So, I, I was so bad at it. Well, and also like it's a val- look. I love, I love, you know, I love cri- criticism. No, no, I hate personal criticism. I hate criticism of anything I do, of course. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, but I, I, no, critics are. It's a, it's it's an important. It plays an important role. It in, plays a very in, important yeah. role in our society, and we thank you very much. But also, it's no, it, it is just that thing of like, just picking something to death. And I feel so, I'm I'm so kind of, um, I was saying I was saying to my husband this morning, I feel like for me, the main thing that I ta- want to talk about all the time is, is um, Bo is Afraid. <laughs> like right. I actually right. feel like I'm on a tour for Bo is Afraid because I loved that film so deeply. I thought it was so incredible. And the response to me was so baffling because, you know, basically people, are, basically the, it seemed to be like people were like, oh, I need to be relentlessly, perfectly. I need the, the exact thing that I want it to be, forever, for every second. And if I'm, if I don't like ten minutes of it, it's a failure. It's just, it was just so weird to me because I was just like, this is so much. This is a film I will watch again and again and again for years and years. It's so masterful. It's so funny. It's so clever. There's so much in it that is perfect. It is better than anything I've seen in years. And it's just, it, it was so interesting how people just choose to focus on the things that they personally could have lived without. I, so you cry. Is there a movie that makes you cry without fail? Yeah. Lots of movies. The yeah. thing that, the movie that made me cry the most was Melancholia by Lars von Trier. Really? Um, because I realized <laughs> everything goes. It's Every, all going to go. Yeah. Right. And actually I can kind of, there was something so unbelievably beautiful and tragic about kind of like, yeah, sort of linking that depression and and sort of nihilism with an actual, with the actual end of the world. And I don't know the way that it was done, you know, the way that it was done was the thing that I think I would I aspire to more than anything, which is, and which I hope I, I would, you know, endeavour to do a little bit with Saltburn is to say it it starts with the world ending. Yeah, Melancholia starts with the world ending, and you spend the whole film excess, you know, you've you've spent the whole film doing what humans do every day, which is the like absolute sort of the 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 kind of core of our existence, which is not believing which is denying. And so, and that awful thing of, of, of him saying the world is going to end 
and me thinking the whole way through, but it can't, but it can't, but it can't. And then it does. I, uh, I wrote it down because, uh, I remember my, I've seen it once and I remember feeling like I couldn't get in, you know, mm. and I think I quit sometimes <gasps> too early. I didn't quit on the, I, I watched it. I mean, I, but I mean, I quit emotionally, like on movies that I feel slightly inaccessible. Right. Like, oh, these are for the, these are for the, uh, these are for the true cinephile. Well, I'm a cinephile, but I mean, I don't like that word, but these are for the, these are for film scholars. Not that's for not so for people who like movies. It, it and made me have. feel so much. All right, well, that's what but I think it's called again. It's the relationship. There's a kind of temperature that I really relate to, and it is. It's cold, yeah. and the coolness of it to me is not inaccessible. It feels honest. I mean, I love. I mean, I I love his work for that reason. I have to no. I wrote it down because I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to you know watch Bo is Afraid yeah. and then I'm going to watch Melancholia. Yeah. Uh, is there a filmmaker of the past who makes you who who if you had the opportunity you would say hey. Let's make a movie together. Oh, Joseph Losey. Oh, well, there we go. Or Harold so, Pinter. I'd be the I'd be the menage. Great, I'd be the toi in that menage. That's a that's a I, great TCM answer. Um, the greatest ever. The greatest ever pairing. Why? Why? What? What? What about Joe Losey? Exactly all the things that I admire. He's su- he's a gifted storyteller, and he is a gifted visual filmmaker, and his films always have that perfect balance of storytelling and truth there is a there is a heart heart heart's the wrong organ maybe there is a center there is a center always of honesty and of of desire or love or you know but there is also a dedication to craft Next question, you have to, we're going to presuppose that you're a criminal. There's a, a, a vast warehouse that contains the props to every movie ever made. Uh, and you you get inside one thing you steal. Any movie ever. The axe from The Shining. <laughs> it came up for sale recently. Huh? And I was seriously considering all sorts of things to get that axe. Um, it went for hundreds of thousands, and I was like, fair enough. Whoever got that. Right. Bounds of reason. Whoever got yep. that. Here's Johnny. Have you seen the, the, it's on YouTube, the video of Nicholson oh, getting ready for don't that? Don't even talk to me about it. The yeah. relationship between him and Kubrick's daughter. Yeah. The tension, the complicated tension given her yeah, age. Right. Him brushing his teeth, the way he brushes his teeth. Honestly, he is beyond. The, that film is beyond. And again, it came out and people were like, eh. Yeah. Insane to me. A perfect film. The, uh, yeah, watching him get ready to put the ax through the door just oh to God. get himself in that space, you know, prowling He's like a so lion. He's so, the like, yeah, it's that, it's the like, the thing that I think that is always so compelling. I think actually Barry Keoghan has in such spades, it's such a similar thing. It's a kind of the sense of 
something only just contained, yeah. something that is absolutely gonna go at any given second. It's just that there's so few people who could do it like they can. Did your uh, did your father have a favorite movie? Yeah, my father has lots of favorite movies. I think the thing that my father really loves, he loves like Mrs. Miniver, Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Um, my parents, we, we grew up a lot watching like lots of um, Random Harvest. Oh, I love, Those, by the way, m- m- talking about a movie makes me cry every time. Oh. Random Harvest. Oh, the yeah. most heartbreaking, the most heartbreaking, the most romantic film of all time. When she appears as his secretary yeah. is the most... When he opens the gate, the creaky gate, the set, the set design of that cottage and that brook. My hair just standing up on my leg. It's It's so beautiful. Also, who would have thought that a film with not one but two bouts of amnesia (laughs) could be so narratively satisfying? And that that last line, just she, you know, Smithy. 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 That's it. Smithy. Greer Garson as well. What a charisma machine. Oh, my goodness. Basically anything with Greer Garson. We were big Greer Garson guys in my house. And so, yeah, so we watch a lot of those. Um, In Brief Encounter, of course, the all-time great, the greatest ever. Right. You know, so we we did a lot of of that. But then my parents love, like, comedies too. So we just watched a lot of comedy. Uh, So then the next question would be favorite movie of your mom, same, culling from the same list. Favorite, I would say Random Harvest is very much my mom's favorite because I remember we had to go on a quest to find it because we only had the VHS and there was a while where you couldn't get it on DVD anywhere. Um, yeah, but that's absolutely her favorite. We've watched that many times. Uh, did they get you into movies? Did they? Would you, would you say some of your love of movies came from your folks? We're a big TV family. We yeah. watch a lot. I think very early on, my parents were like, a bit kind of like I am. They were like, you go at it. It's great. You know, watch it. Watch all of it. Uh, thank you uh, for taking the time to talk to me and uh, for giving the best and longest answer for most memorable movie watching experience. <laughs> that was that was 21 of the best minutes. Oh, God. Was it really? That's awful. No, I made thank that number up. Thank you for up. having me. I love TCM. I love TCM. Thank you, Emerald. Thank you. What a fun conversation that was with Emerald Fennell. I'll be watching Ronald Coleman and Greer Garson and Random Harvest again, and I will definitely cry again. But at least it's not a costume drama. You can find many of the movies we talked about on the streaming service Max. We made a list for you. It's in our show notes. James Kim produces and edits Talking Pictures. Dory Stegman books the show. Glenn Matullo mixes each episode. Thanks to Phil Richards, Yako Friedman, Julie Baton, Katie Daniels, and Emma Morris. Angela Carone is our executive producer. Special thanks to Michael Gluckstad and Allison Cohen from the Max Podcast team. And as always, to Charlie Tavish from TCM. See you next time.